And good morning. Good morning. Glad to see you guys. Um, thanks so much for being here. Thank you guys for joining us online as well. Hey, be in prayer. I know there's been some sickness going around, and and so there's several of our church family that aren't uh, able to make it. And so just keep that in your prayers. Um, I also wanted to say thanks so much for prayers for for me and my family this week. It's been a uh, an well, it's been a difficult week, right? Um, uh, if you don't know, my wife Dee, her father passed away, so my father-in-law passed away, and we had the service a week ago today, and then we buried him Wednesday. And um, I tell you, uh, he was a veteran. Um, I know we have veterans uh, who served in this church, and we have family members who did. And you know, you think the hard part is Sunday at the funeral, but then when they start playing that trumpet. And then the rifles go off. I tell you, just everybody melted. And um, so just, you know, again, just makes me think about just not taking for granted those that sacrifice willingly, especially as it points to our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. I mean, so keep her in your prayers. Um, you know, this is our first. So, I, you know, I don't have any words other than um, I know Jesus is in the middle of all that. So thank you guys again so much. Emmanuel, uh, what a great sermon last week about not drifting away from her faith. I've heard so much about that. I hate that I missed it live in the room. And um, as we continue in chapter two, we're going to continue looking at how Jesus accomplishes what he does. Jesus accomplishes what he does. We're going to be in chapter two, starting in verse five in just a moment. Um, we wrapped up a quit this last week as well. This last Wednesday, right? Yeah, who who in here did equip? Now, several of us did, right? And and here's the good news: uh, we're going to do another one. It's in April, isn't it? Sometime in April, so we're going to do another one. So we'll let you know when that is. And so if you miss that one, we'll pick another topic and we'll go another four weeks. But um, it has been a it was a great conversation, at least for students. Um, and I know it was great for y'all in here as well. Um, Todd asked me, I'll send something, so if you don't get the newsletter, you can sign up for that. Um, for those that did do a quip, um, he did ask that we would give some feedback on that, so we'll make sure that that link is in there so that you who were in here for the last four weeks or part of it could do that. Um, but again, as I said, we're going to continue on in chapter two this morning uh, in our series, Spiritual Cover in a spiritless world. And the idea behind the series is just this. There are so many things, like umbrellas in a rainstorm, right? There's the graphic um, where we can uh, find cover from the weather or from hurt or anger and all those things. But Jesus actually provides us the most cover, the best cover, the perfect cover. And so Hebrews over and over and over again puts that focus on Jesus and how he is better than anything else we would look to. How he is better than anything else that we would look to. And, you know, and, and again, we don't know who the author is, um, but this is so pastoral in how he's leading the, the hearers of this letter, the readers of this letter, through continued um, just coming back to who Jesus is. And that's why he said in chapter 2, don't drift away, right? It says that for... Um, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, right? The gospel, the good news, lest we drift away from it, which was what Emmanuel led us through last week. But I get it. It's true, is it? Like, it's so easy to drift away. It's so easy to drift away, isn't it? Life happens. We get 
busy. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves drifting away. But it looks different. Some of us probably know people in our lives where they came to faith and then they just fell away so quickly. But then there's, we also have other people in our lives as well as that it seemed like slowly over time, over time, they just backed away from the church and from the gospel. And maybe that's your story. I don't know. Um, but again, as Emmanuel talked about last week, it's important to remember our story to begin with. Isn't that true? It's important to remember the story to begin with and how we interact with and how Jesus rescues and saves us. Now, the story of how God found us and rescued us. But here's the thing. It's not just our story. It's not just our personal story, right? Like, we have a collective story in this church. We have a collective story with this church and other churches. In this city, we have a collective story of how Jesus interacts in our lives. And so, I just want to say, like, it's great to focus on our story. I don't disagree at all. But there's also other stories working itself out in the world, but then there's another story to remember too, and that's the story of Jesus. Like it's his story too. And I don't know about you, especially when things are hard, right? Like I start to remember back how all the times how Jesus or how God interacted or, or intervened in my life when I needed him to, right? Maybe it's a loss of the family. Maybe it's financial burden. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's just unrest, maybe it's just frustration, maybe it's just all the things, right? And I think about just my story, but then I remember, actually, no, Jesus is the foundation of my story. It's not my story, it's his story and how he interacts with me. And I think sometimes we unintentionally look at our story as the premium, the right story, the prime story, when actually... It's not my story is the foundation of my faith. It's the story of who Jesus is, and that's the foundation of our faith. Just a couple of truths this morning, but truth number one, Jesus is the only foundation of our faith. Like We don't take communion remembering how we gave our lives to him. We take communion because we remember how he gave our life for us. Jesus is that foundation. So don't get up caught in the trap of... we. My story crowds out the story of how Jesus is working out in my life via the Holy Spirit. You know, I think the phrase is, we can miss the forest for the trees, right? Sometimes I get so focused on the tree, I forget that we see the, there's a forest all around us. By, uh, while we were in Tennessee, um, we took a couple of hours away, and it had snowed. Like, we got all the rain here. Well, in Tennessee, they got all the snow. And so we went up into the park. It was close to where we were staying with these brothers, uh, at his house, and we could see, like in the distance, the snow on top of the ca on the on the peaks. So and we're like, "Are we going to get there?" And I'm like, "No, probably not. It's not that close, right?" But then, as we got closer, we got to see more of more of what God was revealing. And like the snow line was 3,800 feet. So when we got close to 3,800 feet, everything was covered in snow. Far away, it looked like it was just a little piece. But the closer we got to it, everything was covered. And, you know, my kids are like, can we build a snowman? I'm like, oh, I don't care. You're going to sing songs while you do it too? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Um, and that's the point. Like, sometimes we get so crowded out where your vision gets so focused on what's going on in our story, we forget that Jesus' story is expansive in a way that ours isn't. The Bible says if we build our house on any other foundation than Christ, we are building our house on sand instead of rock. 
We are building our house on sand instead of rock. And so if our faith journey, again, right? Jesus is the foundation of our faith. If our faith journey is characterized by how we understand Jesus in light of our story. You see that? See the turn? If we understand Jesus in light of my story, our story, your story. Instead of first understanding our life in light of Jesus' story. See the flip? Right? That is sand and not rock. And so we get the order backwards. And what I love about Hebrews, I was talking about this a few minutes ago, Hebrews offers us this beautiful picture of who Jesus is. The, the, the technical term is a Christology, which is the study of the nature, the person, and the role of who Jesus is. Hebrews is like the best letter of who Jesus is from a Christology standpoint. And so I want you to notice how the nature and the person and the role of Jesus comes out in our passage, starting in verse 5. You could follow along in our board, chapter 2, verse 5. <clears throat> I'm going to clear my throat. Now, it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for every one. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through the suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children God. I am the children God has given me. <clears throat> and so, thing, helpful to remember is that Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians. And so, the author's purpose, why there's so much of the nature, person, and role of who Jesus is, is because he is reframing their gaze on God the Father and centering it on Jesus the Son as the author and perfecter of our faith. That's why he says, again, at the beginning of the chapter, we have to pay much closer attention of what we've heard so that we don't drift away. This was mind-altering for them. It's just reframing their focus. But if I think about it, if I'm being really honest about just me, like, I need my, re, I need my gaze and my vision reframed and refocused all the time. Because I get distracted by lots of things. Let me just work through the passage. Verses 6 through 8 quotes Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6. And I just noticed the nature of Jesus described in the psalm, right? He says, what is a man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower. While lower than the angels. Who's the him? Jesus. You have crowned him, Jesus, with glory and honor. Putting everything in subjection 
under his feet. And so just, the, just quickly, Jesus' nature here in the psalm and in Hebrews is positional. Like what we know about him, right, is everything that was created is held up by him and it was created through his hands. God is the author of all creation. Jesus is the painter, for lack of a better phrase. And it's interesting, Jesus' nature. So therefore, he's God the Son, and he's on the same level with God. But the nature of Jesus was that he, while he was higher than all created things, God made him lower for a little while. And so the nature, person, and role of Jesus was that, yeah, he had everything and didn't have to be lower, but yet he made himself lower. According to Hebrews 2 and Psalm 8. But while Jesus was lower than the angels in his original station, God crowned him with glory and honor, right? It says it right there. You've made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Well, why? Why would God crown Jesus who took his position, gave it up, and assumed a lower position? Why would he do that? Because on earth, right, like we're in a, we're in a political year, right? You know, like the, the election's coming whether we like it or not and then all the things. On earth, glory and honor comes with raising your status, doesn't it? Isn't that true? Like on this side of attorney, when you think about glory and honor and, and all the things, like it's not a lowering, it's a raising. The gold medal step is at the top of the podium in the Olympics. It's not on the, not on the third step. The more money you make, the better. The more fame you have, the better. The better athlete, the more rings, right? The LeBron-Jordan conversation is really easy because you just point to the rings. It's Jordan, by the way, is the best player ever. And if you come at me, I will fight you vehemently about that. My son disagrees with me, and I'm like, oh, son, you're nine. You have no idea what you're talking about, right? The more rings, the better. The more championships, the better. Scoreboard matters on this side of eternity. There you go. More likes equals acceptance, doesn't it? Right? The more likes I get on that post, the better I feel about it. The better I feel about myself. Uh, people see me. Somehow likes somehow equal being seen. Uh, we did count night last, not this past week, but the week before where we, uh, in Tarrant County, especially in Arlington, all of Tarrant County counted the homeless. So Fort Worth, Arlington, some other places, and I got to participate in that here in Arlington, I saw another world of Arlington that we drive past all the time. All the time. Like places we probably drive past probably today, you'd be surprised at how many homeless live right around there and they go unseen, right? And as we had to do our little training before we got out there, the funny thing was is they said, hey guys, we know, we're so thankful that you're here serving and that you're giving of your time, which we started, what time did we start? Like eight, and then we got home after one because, right, like they're probably settled later in the evening. But, he's, but the trainer said, hey, if you're taking a picture of them, don't do that. And it's funny, like, of course not, right, because that's demeaning. And he says, but he said this statement, and I thought it was really interesting. He says, social media doesn't really like what you're posting. It's just there. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's so true, isn't it? Like we get caught in that trap, like likes equal acceptance. And so that's this side of eternity, that we don't lower our status for, for glory and honor. We raise our status to receive glory and honor. But the kingdom's economy for glory is actually opposite. 
it's actually opposite. Or, to say it a different way, it's upside down, right? The kingdom is an upside down economy. The lower you go, the more honor and glory you receive. Because that's what Jesus is, that's what the author has shown here. God made Jesus lower for a little while, lower than the angels, and he crowned him with glory and honor. The more you serve in the kingdom, the more you stand out. Not the more likes. The more you serve, the more you stand out. And so the person, nature, and role of Jesus was to go downward first. And if we're supposed to be like him, then what is our nature supposed to do in a world that says, no, actually, if you want to have fame and glory and honor, you need to raise your profile at all costs. Which leads us to truth number two. The lower you go in this kingdom, the more you stand out in God's kingdom. Can I say that again? Because I don't know about you, but like I'm performance oriented and I don't like failing and I like making good grades and I don't really like dunking on people, although it feels good sometimes, right? But do you see what I'm saying? Like there's the thing, the lower we go in this kingdom on this side of eternity, the more we stand out in God's kingdom. And that's the choice, right? The choice to be like Christ, at least in regards to this part of chapter 2, is you want to stand out more on the other side of eternity? Maybe you fade back into the background a little bit more on this side of eternity. And I get it. Like, we all want to be seen and loved. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But if our primary motivation is to stand out so that we can be seen and loved as opposed to love and serve, I don't know if we're missing the point. I think we're missing the point there, right? And so I just thought of, you know, like in a, in a, in a political year, especially a presidential election year, like the race to the bottom, they talk about that all the time. Like which campaign is going to start throwing mud first? Which campaign is going to start accusing the other campaign of all the other things? That's already happened, hasn't it? Have we already seen that? Right, there's already been a race to the bottom. Like, race to the bottom in politics is bad, but in God's kingdom, a race to the bottom is good. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if I think about my days like that. The race to the bottom, but yet we're called to that. Verse 8. We good? We tracking okay? Back to verse 8. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. This is why you build your foundation on Jesus and his story and not our story. Subjection. What does subjection mean? The word subjection doesn't just mean to obey. Like we see subjection, we think, well, I'm going to obey a king. That's true. That's part of it. But it also means to take a lower rank. Back again, back to that thought. He lowered him for a little while. It's not just obeying. It's like, hey, don't walk here, right? There's that sign. Keep off the grass. Here's one for you, Arlingtonites, right? You've got to hide your second trash can in another week, right? Anybody, anybody get that email? Like, where are you going to put the other one? Everybody kind of grumping about that? Like, we've got the recycle can, now we've got the trash can. We can't just throw our trash bags on the, on the sidewalk anymore. Where are we going to do put, put our second trash can? I'm going to put it where I put the first one. In plain, no, I'm not in plain view, but whatever, right? So there you go. Like, here's the thing. Everything is in subjection to him. Meaning that it obeys and is lower compared to him. And so don't miss this. The author of Hebrews is affirming that everything is lower than who Jesus is. It's in subjection to. It's in lower rank. And the reason is, is because he himself subjected himself to the lowering 
of his rank. See that, right? He lowered himself and he earned that subjection. But then also everything is in obedience to him. And that's the hard part, isn't it? Because I don't know about your week, but this is not the week we would have chosen. But I have to have hope and faith and trust that while this is a hard week for my family and for my wife's family, that everything still going on in the world is in subjection to who Jesus is. But that's why we build our story around Jesus and his story. Not him around our story. Because if we're being honest, nobody knows what comes tomorrow. Right? We didn't know that two weeks ago. I don't know what's coming tomorrow. But again, the verse not only says lowering, it also has to obey Jesus. And so God... And this picture and this verse has left nothing outside of Jesus' control. Everything is lower to him and everything is obedient to him. So let me get this straight, Hebrew author, because I was like having a conversation as I was doing sermon prep this week. In a world where I feel wildly out of control, see if this is you. Maybe one of these are you this morning, I don't know. In a world where I feel wildly out of control at times, everything has to obey Jesus and nothing is outside of his control. Yes, that's true. Wait a minute, I made coffee this morning and I was out of creamer. Yes, he's in control of that. Okay. I got to work and left my laptop at home. Have you ever done that? I did that like three weeks ago. It was annoying. I was super aggravated because I was going to be productive and then I wasn't. Yeah, actually, he's in control of that and that's subjected to him. But I don't know about you, but this day, this week, this month, this year already, we're one month in, and, and this year is already not counting, counting up to what I thought it was going to be. But yet, everything is in subjection to him, meaning it is lower than who he is, and he is in control of it. Yes, he is, and it is. But then there's a second part. I love the second part. Of verse 8. Now I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside of his control, right? We got that. But then it says this at present, right now, this moment, this second, this breath, this thought, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Can I say that again? This moment, this breath, this thought, we do not see everything in subjection to him. We can't even see what Jesus sees fully. Wait, what? Jesus is in control of the unseen things that haven't happened to me yet? Yes, he is. Meaning whatever is happening right now, Whatever's going to happen tomorrow, he's in control of, and it's lower than? Yes, he is. And so when you think about the foundation of our faith, if it's my story, man, isn't it true? If I, if I think more about my story in relation, instead of who Jesus is in relation to me, aren't I walking around with just one hand over my eye? Because I can't see everything he sees. And so here's the piece for you and for me this morning in this part of the passage. Whatever is going on in your story is not the end of the story. 
Steve's dad passing away is not the end of the story for their family and our family because we cannot yet see what everything that Jesus sees. So that thing you came in with this morning, that thing you left last year with and brought into this year, the thing that you're like, gosh, I really hope this happens, right? And there's some things that have happened to me personally, like three or four days into the year where I'm like, I didn't have that on my bingo card in 2024, right? Like, if you had those moments, well, that wasn't on my card. I don't know what's going to come next. That is not the end of your story because you and I cannot see everything that he sees. Which means he's not done with your story yet in my story and the things that are coming. It's not the end of the story because you can't see what is around the corner. But Jesus can because he made the corner. And he also made himself lower than the angels willingly. And was willing to be subjected to things that he didn't need to be subjected to. So that he in turn could put everything in subjection to him. Which leads us to truth number three. Please take this one in this morning. Jesus is supposed to be the king of your story. Not you. Jesus is supposed to be the king of your story. Not you. And I get it. Because I have hopes and dreams. And I didn't think, you know, like those are the things that I want for my life. There are things I want for this church. There are things that I want for Arlington. There are things that I want for my family and for myself. And those things that I'm just dragging along hoping that God's going to sanctify those one day. But those are not the kings of my story. Jesus is the king of our stories. Amen? We could try to be king, but we don't see it all. Right? When you think about a good QB, Tom Brady, right? Like when you think about a good quarterback, what makes a good quarterback? It's helpful that they can make all the throws, right? They can throw 45 yards across the field for a seven-yard gain and not be intercepted. Like those things are helpful. But what makes a good QB is not one who can just make all the throws. It's one who can see the entire field. Isn't that right? They can make their reads quickly and see who's open and who's not. You know, a harbor pilot, here's what's interesting. If you ever spent any time next to the sand, like you see these big ships come in, these monster tankers, and these little, little harbor pilot boats and tugboats come out and drag them in because they know where everything is in the channel and the big boats don't. So just get this picture, right? You have this massive boat, everything at their disposal, and they need something, an infantile portion of the size of that ship to lead them in because they know where everything is in the channel to get the safe harbor. Jesus knows everything that we need to get the safe harbor. He does. He knows everything we need to get the safe harbor. It's vision, not talent, that allows someone to navigate life. Let Jesus, who has the vision along with his perfect gifts, his nature, his person, and his role in our faith be the captain of your life. Let go of the wheel and say, here you go. And I'm not going to start singing that song. Okay? Jesus, take the wheel. Verse 9. Verse 9. But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. It's interesting, is that this entire book has been about who Jesus is. 
And it took to verse 9 in chapter 2, 22 verses into the letter for the author to name Jesus by name. Isn't that interesting? Never once says Jesus' name until verse 9 in chapter 2. 22 verses, but yet we know exactly who it is that he was talking about. These past three weeks, we've been talking about Jesus the first time he uses his name. How did Jesus earn his crown? Well, let's see. Back in verse 9. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus earned his crown. He lowered himself, and he's earned his crown because of suffering and death. His sacrifice leads to God establishing his kingdom forever. Isn't that interesting? How do you gain a kingdom when you lose your life? I don't know. Well, here's why. Because God's son, Jesus, considered God's kingdom better than the one that he was owed because of his position. You see that? You see that, right? Like it's God's kingdom. And Jesus said, well, I could build my own kingdom. But instead, he lowered himself so that he could build God's kingdom instead. It's back to this subjection and lowering willingly and giving up his life. He considered God's kingdom better than his own. See the sacrifice? I'm going to sacrifice because I'm, you know, we see that moment in the garden, don't we? Where he's like, God, if it's your will, let this pass from me. And he was so stressed before he was arrested that he was sweating blood, right? Like capillaries were breaking in his forehead and he was sweating. But like, if I'm sweating blood, like send me to the hospital because something's really wrong. And he said, but I will do your will. This cup doesn't pass, I'll do your will. It's a beautiful picture of who, the person of who Jesus is. His sacrifice. He didn't go out in a blaze of glory of use of sacrifice. You ever notice that, right? Like, oh, I'll just go, so he'll go out in a blaze of glory. Jesus could have done that at any time, and he didn't. He actually said, no, 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 no. I'm actually going to go all the way because I could go all the way. And the sacrifice didn't just cause him to wait. It cost Jesus his life, right? Can you imagine dying for a kingdom that you're going to inherit? But you have to go through all the things. But he also cost him his life. A life laid down willingly. Waiting feels like death, doesn't it? But only suffering brings about faith. Can I say that again? Waiting feels like death. I don't know about you, what you're waiting on. I've got things I'm waiting on, right? Like you order something from Amazon. And you're like, oh, it's delayed. And you're like, gosh, I needed that yesterday. Have you ever noticed how one day delivery never is an option when you need it to be? Yeah. I think that's how Amazon gets you, right? Like, have you noticed that? It's like, I needed this today. Let me see if I can get, oh, you missed it by like, if you order within 23 hours and 45 minutes, it'll come in two days, right? Have you ever noticed that? Like, waiting feels like death. Suffering brings about faith. Brings about faith. By God's grace, Jesus tasted death so that you and I don't have to. Now, that's a strong foundation. By God's grace, Jesus tasted death so that all, that he might taste death for everyone. That's a foundation of rock. But yet so many of us, so many times I find myself building my life, my spiritual life, on my works and my efforts as opposed to Jesus's. Verse 10, for it was fitting love this word, for it's fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of the salvation perfect. Fitting, that Greek word fitting means proper. It was proper by God for by, for whom and by whom all things exist. It was proper for God. 
and bringing many sons of glory that he should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That's proper. And Jesus is like, okay, I'm good. I'm just, I'm just like, here's the thing. Christ was perfect already, right? Like we have this picture of him. He's perfect, sinless. He grew up perfect and sinless. He left this world sinless. He entered this world sinless. He was perfect. But yet here it says it was proper that God would perfect Jesus through suffering. I mean, that's perfect enough, isn't it? But no, he, he had to suffer to the point of death after lowering himself. And this is who Christ is, to lower himself and then die. That's who Christ is, to lower himself and then die. And when you think about, I was thinking about this with chores, right? Like when I was growing up, we all had to do chores. Like, And you, knew, you know, if you have siblings, like you know how it goes, right? Like this week, someone has to do the bathroom. Nobody wants to do the bathroom. Let's be really honest, right? Or someone has to do the dishes in the sink because they've piled up. And nobody really wants to do the dirty, oily, greasy dishes. Like, if you do those, God bless you because those are the worst. And it takes you like five hand washes to get them off your hands, right? What's interesting is Jesus chose the hardest chore and then said, I'm going to do them all anyway. He didn't just pick one week. He picked them all. And so there's this picture to follow Christ means that we have to give ourselves up just like he gave himself up, which leads us to truth number four. To truly follow Christ is to purposefully choose the suffering path, right? Like, don't miss this because I get it, because I like things that are easy. But to follow Christ means I at some point will suffer. I know that's hard to hear, but it's true. But that leads to death to self. Because that's what Jesus, when he gave his life up, he died to himself and died to the Father instead. If we're suffering just to suffer for suffer's sake and never ever checking ourselves at the door, I think we're missing the component. And so I would encourage all of us to consider what does it look like for us to suffer in the ways that God has called us to, but then also what does it look like for us to check ourselves at the door? Because I am not the king of my story, Jesus is. But I never see his kingship. I never take the crown off my head unless I check myself at the door. Because otherwise, he's just a good teacher, right? Many people in the scriptures in the New Testament said, Teacher, they followed him until he pushed them past the point that they were unwilling to go. He's a good teacher, right? He's a good man. Like, he seems like he's okay. He's a little crazy and does some things out of whack with the cultural norms of that day. But he's a good dude. Like, I should follow him. You know, is he just someone that makes me feel better when I'm sad? Or hurting? But he's not just those things, he's more. He's the Savior of the world who gave himself up for you and for me. And to follow him means that we should do the same. And so the question is, is am I going to follow Christ by lowering myself? Except when it's hard, Right? Rich young man, right? He's like, I've got all this stuff. Well, if you give it away. Well, no, actually, I've kept all the law. I'm good, right? No, I actually got to give it all away. I'm good. What does it say? The scripture says he walked away sorrowful because he was a man of great possession. Or am I going to follow Christ when it's hard but not lower my position? It's real easy for me to command someone to do the dishes because I'm in the position I am in my family's house, at least with my kids. I don't tell Dee what to do because she would murder me, right? But I could tell my kids what to do. Or I could lower myself and do them anyway. See the point? See the difference, right? 
It requires us to not just lower ourselves. It also requires us to do things when it's hard. And when we go to the same place as Jesus, the end result is the same. Look at verse 11. Almost done. For he, after God made Jesus perfect through suffering, for he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, you, if you know Jesus, you are sanctified. You're being sanctified even though you're not made perfect yet. That's called glorification, by the way. You know what it's called when sanctification is done? It's called glorification. Do you know when we'll be glorified? When we're in his presence. Think about that. Think about all the things you wish you didn't do, the things you wish that were not going on, and God is perfecting your faith, and that's called sanctification. When all that's done and when all this is put away, it's called glorification. And then what does Revelation say that we do? We take our crowns off and we put them at his feet. Isn't that beautiful? That's glorification. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's God. And that's why he is not ashamed to call them brothers because he incorporates us. He adopts us into his family through a sacrifice. So I don't know if you have a brother or you grew up with one, but you do in Jesus. You feel like you're not seen by your family. You're seen by him. And that's your family. Love that picture. Love that picture. Ben's going to come back up. I will tell your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust to him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Notice just how shepherding and inclusive that language is. So when we hear the truth of God's word, we have an opportunity to respond. So you're like, well, what, is, what am I going to ask you to respond with? It's this. Because when we respond, we have an opportunity to change. That's why we ask you to respond to change. And so, what does it mean to have a spiritual covering in a spiritless world? Well, to have a spiritual covering is to follow the path of Jesus that leads to the lowering of ourselves and dying to ourselves. It's a both and. A lot of times I'll lower myself, but I won't die to myself. Sometimes I'll die to myself, but I won't lower myself. It's a both and because that's the person, nature, and role of Jesus. But I just want to point out one more thing. And then we'll close. Back in verse 9. I've already teased it for you. It says this, But we see him for who a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, right? Crowned with glory and honor. That word crowned happens only three times in the Bible. That's interesting. Three times. Two of them are in Hebrews the other one is in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writing to Timothy, encouraging him as he's leading a church. And he says this in verse 3. Right after the, you know, entrust the faithful people who will be able to teach others also. says this in verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Here's the crown. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. I'm not talking about your faith or your salvation. But Jesus made it pretty clear what the rules are. It's to lower yourself and check yourself at the door. So I just, would just wonder, my question to you, my question to me this week is, 
who is my life crowning? Who is your life, your life crowning? Excuse me. Is it you? Is it someone else? Is it Jesus? I don't know. What about crossroads? Whose life is crossroads crowning? Is it us? Is it Jesus? I don't know. What about your family's life? Who's your family's life crowning? Is it you? Is it someone else? Is it trying to recover something from the past? Or is it Jesus? If you don't know the answer, that's okay. Because we don't always have the answers. That's okay. But if it's you, and you know that, this is an opportunity to respond. And to take the crown off your head, put it at his feet. See, does it need our crown? He earned one on the cross. And then I would ask you in those places and those things where you're really struggling, maybe even raging a little bit, what does it look like to check yourself at that door and to say, Lord, everything is in subjection to you and I can't see everything, but that doesn't mean that you can't. I will trust you. I will bend a knee. That is the spiritual cover that we all need in a spiritless world. Amen. I invite you to stand as we respond in song. Just spend a few minutes asking him where that is. That he would highlight that and that he would give you the grace to respond. Because if you're like, okay, this week, tomorrow, I'm going to do things different. And that is the recipe for disaster, isn't it? I'm going to be patient for this year. And then everything that happens to me tries my patience. So God, I pray for all of us. One, I just say thank you. That we serve a Savior who was subjected to everything and yet was perfect. And who is not limited by my eyesight. So God, is, 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 is the Holy Spirit is just maybe clearing some cobwebs and just kind of knocking around in some of the dark spaces of our spirit. And my prayer is not that we would do better. That you would give us the grace and the mercy. Because that's what it is. Grace and mercy to respond to you. So as we sing, let us sing loudly of who you are. And let us trust deeply of what you've done. It's in your name. Amen.